Hey guys, welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials kit. It comes with a great Lyra mic and a wonderful set of headphones. If you've ever thought of starting your own podcast, this is the best way to do it. Post-punk legend and founder of The Membranes and Goldblade, John Robb, joins us today. Before we go any further, the connection John and I had was not great. So a million thanks to Jordan Zetorosny of Blink of the Star for helping to fix it as much as humanly possible. I'm releasing it even with less than perfect audio because the conversation was great with some killer stories. John has been everywhere, done everything, and knows everybody. He tells me about playing punk gigs in church basements as a kid, playing illegal gigs in Czechoslovakia, and building a bass guitar out of driftwood. He's one of the few people I know who's even been more productive during the pandemic than he was before. He also discusses his music website, Louder Than War, and how he got started interviewing musicians. So another million thanks goes out to Rob Marshall of Humorist for getting John and I connected. Check out louderthanwar.com and follow John on social media. He is a great follow. And follow us at Performance ANX. Rate and review the show. We also accept coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Merchandise is found at performanceanx.threadless.com. And let's dive right into a great chat with John Robb of the Membranes on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. This is John Robb from the Membranes. You're listening to Performance Anxiety. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm actually outside. You're in a fake outside, aren't you? I'm in a fake outside. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How can you tell the uh, the floating microphone head or? Yeah, it's quite like a psychedelic. Yeah. Kind of yeah. It looks a lot better than my living room. I am gonna be a hundred percent honest and say I'm new to the membranes and to your work. So, I did as much research as I could in the short time that I've been uh, acquainted with your work. So, I'm gonna need your help to go through some of this because there's so much history. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's amazing. And but to find out where you're at now, I kind of like to start from the beginning and find out a little bit about your background and uh, how you got into music in the first place. I mean, was was there a lot of music playing in the house growing up? Were you do, taking music lessons as a kid? Oh no, no, God, no! It's uh, like my generation. It's like your parents put me into all, you know. It's, um, it was like ruining your life getting into pop music. Yeah. So for me, it was early seventies. It was uh, glam rock, British glam rock, not the uh, not the kind of rubbish motley crew American glam rock, more <laughs> OE T Rex, you know that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Also, motley and, and sweet and slain and all the other bands. You know that was. So when you're 12 or 13, that was the diet, you know, and it was top of the box, a CD program. That was bands on a week, and that totally informed us culturally. But I had no idea you could actually do this kind of stuff, because it seemed like only people from outer space or uh, London, which could be outer space, but it's kind of a black hole. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, only, it's only 200 miles, you know, which, which in your country is like an afternoon's drive, and it's to go to the shop. Right. But, but in England... 30 miles, you know, even 30 miles in England could seem a massive distance and a culturally completely different space. So the idea of making your own music was totally impossible until punk came along. And that was the next big thing, really. And uh, when punk started, it, it, it was the idea that you could actually create and it was empowering and the idea you could make your own culture. And that was really exciting, you know. I mean, of course, music and 
to start a bunker and all that was really exciting. But the idea you could actually get involved and you didn't have to learn loads of stuff. You could just, if you had ideas, you could just go and do them. Which for me is like a big part of my life since then, not, not just music, but any, any kind of fields. You know, it's uh, you've got a good idea, follow it through. You don't have to be an expert in it. You know, you can you can find people who can make it happen with you. You know, yeah. it's, I think that's a really important lesson that came out of punk. That's probably the revolution of punk. Yeah. The, Explain really, you know, yeah, the, the empowerment to just get them to do stuff. The DIY ethos. Yeah, it was super, super key. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm going to, Right now, I'm getting a uh, kind of a weird little echo. I'm gonna to try to to fix some of it in post, but in case when I do this, it the uh, audio isn't pristine. That's I just want to uh, let everybody know that uh, we we got a little weird connection thing going here. So I'm gonna to try to to work through it. It's okay, my end. If that makes it any better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're very clear. Oh, well, yeah. that's good. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I'm clear on my end too. But um, all right, so, yeah. I, you mentioned the, the DIY part of, of punk and and not having to take lessons and all. And it reminded me of a, of a quote that I read about the membranes that made me laugh. But uh, it's really it's really interesting. It says uh, that born out of the punk rock DIY, the membranes were formed in 1977 and started playing gigs a couple of years later before they knew what chords were. Or that you had to tune your guitar. Yeah, completely. Like no idea. You know, it wasn't like now you can get a YouTube video and learn, you know, a whole Red Zeppelin songbook in an afternoon. Yeah. But you couldn't then, you just you just went out and bought guitars because you wanted to be in the band. We didn't even know what the right guitars were. Wow. The guitar we bought had, had four strings on it. We thought they had four strings. We bought it in the second hand shop. <laughs> and then the bass was you know, we the bass, we didn't have to tune them up. We just made the songs up. We didn't know you meant to tune them, didn't know any chords and I know, obviously, I know a bit more since then, but I don't really work within any musical structures. You know, I just make things that sound right to my head. And that's how we made the music then. If we sounded right, then it was right, you know. It's, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's not very that's not very good commercial ploy, <laughs> but it's, that's, that's, that's how music made sense to us, you know. It was just, you played things, and when they sort of felt right, then you knew it was right. And I think that's important as well, I think. I think your instinct is so key in any kind of arts, really. Yeah. You mentioned some of the music that you were listening to younger. Was that just stuff that was playing on the radio at the time, or, or was there? How did you? How did you really get into punk music? What was? Uh, what was? What really drew you into it? Well, you you can read about it in the music papers before it came. Before there was even records out, you saw pictures. Ah, okay. And look, even look, looking at the pictures, the bands, you kind of knew what they sounded like. You sort of guess it. Ah, yeah. Because uh, for, for about two years between glam and punk, it felt like nothing was going on. That it was boring. And then when these other bands turned up, it was so engulfing. And then, uh, and then they did, after the Sex Pistols did that thing, they swore the telly. It became mainstream, it was everywhere, you know, and, and they became massive, they were the biggest band in the country. And, and, and I guess if you were 15 at the time, the kind of choice was, you know, you go with it, so you don't. So which side are you on, you know, it's like that. Okay. So you, you got swept, you got completely swept up in the punk in a very naive way, because we didn't really, there's no, there's, you couldn't go to college and learn what it was, like you can now, you just had to yeah. guess it all. So our misinterpretation of punk became, for a lot of people in different towns, like, my, like me and my friends and other bands, post-punk was basically everybody's misinterpretation of punk. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't play punk music. It was too complicated for us. We didn't know where you got the clothes from. Oh, we went to second-hand shops. So it was, it was all completely homemade. And it went off on its own tangent and it became its own thing. 
and you see that across all the towns up and down England. You know, it was it was like everybody's fired by the energy of punk. They didn't have a clue how to do it, so they just made their own version. Okay. Which is totally brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how did you find the guys that became the Membranes? They went to school with me, and they were younger than me, so I forced them to be in the band. I mean, they, they have no... <laughs> <laughs> they're the only other people there's virtually hardly anybody else into that kind of music most people didn't there's about 10 people at school into punk and everyone else was still into ELO and all the other bands <laughs> so, so it's quite easy for them to bands you just got the people who like that kind of music and said do you want to be the guitar player do you want to be the drummer and the drummer had 30 he had 30 quid he got for his uh, Christmas and bought a drum kit nice. and just sort of worked it out as he went along Nobody does that now, do they? Everybody goes to music colleges yeah. and learns how to be in, in a band properly, which, which I suppose, in, in a way, is probably the best thing you can do because at least you'll get a musical career. But that, there was no idea doing that then. It was just, it was basically getting, just forcing people to be in a band, getting some equipment, and just banging around on it until it actually made any sense. That's yeah. awesome. Like, hey, that guy looks like Sid Vicious. That guy looks like Jeff Lynn. I'm going to take the Sid Vicious guy. Well, people do it like Sid. You know, Sid was... Uh, you couldn't get those clothes. I mean, he was, you know, I mean, he looked like a rock. I mean, he looked like a rock and roll star. He's like an, he's an icon. He, I mean, yeah, he had the best gear. He's, in London, they had they had access to really good clothes. They had people making the clothes for them. I mean, the Clash when they toured, there's a woman on the road with a sewing machine making their trousers for them each night. I mean, it was it was show business, and that's and it's great. You know, because they look great and it worked. But we didn't realise all that. We just thought they were. We thought they must be like us, you know. We just go to secondhand shops. Right. They thought they must go to secondhand shops and find amazing clothes, and we go to secondhand shops and find <laughs> shit clothes. <laughs> and try and make sense of them. That's. I mean, awesome. when you're in a small town, it's you, you're isolated. You don't have the stuff. You don't have the, the information. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the clothes, the music, yeah. the guitars, the gear. You don't even have the gigs. We had to play gigs in church halls, you know, and um, tell the vicar it was a folk gig and then it become a punk gig. <laughs> but it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a normal punk gig. It was like a really weird out tune post punk gig. But, <laughs> you know, and it's, but it, it sounded fantastic. It was it was really great. It was totally ours, you know. It was our version of it. We didn't want to be. I mean, fortunately, we didn't want it to be. We didn't want to sound like the Pistols or Ramones. We wanted to sound like ourselves, you know. Yeah. Within within the boundaries of what punk was. So, we, of course, we, we loved the energy of punks. They had that energy. But we had to make it what sounded in our heads. You know, we were always overreaching ourselves. You know, what we wanted to try and do, we weren't capable of. But going halfway was even better, in a way. Okay. So you, you kind of created your own sound doing it that way. Oh, completely. Yeah, I, I think to this day, we don't sound like anyone else. Oh, which no. Is, um, which, you know, it's, it's artistically is great, commercially is fantastic because nobody <laughs> yeah. ever knows where to put you, do they? You know, they, they, don't know, they don't know what you are. You can't go and tour in a punk package. You can't, you don't, we ain't fit in the post-punk scene. It'll fit in anywhere, you know. We just sort of ended up in a place that's completely our own. So when you started the membranes, you also started uh, the fanzine Rocks. Was that yeah, well, that's all the same, same process. I mean, somebody brought a coffee slipping glue to school, which is the first British punk fanzine. And because it was timed out really badly and all the headings were done in a pen and they were photocopied. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, you had to use to be a writer. I thought you had to live in London, which you did really. And I thought you had to learn how to do it. I didn't realize you could just write, so I did. You know? <laughs> we, we didn't even know what phone copying was. We had to ask around. Oh. How, how to, we had no idea how to make magazines. So we became, and this is actually tells you everything you need to know about what, how amazing punk was because. 
even though we never written anything, we never done a magazine, we just did one. You know, we, we so we eventually found out you photocopied it, so we photocopied it. Yeah. We just we just wrote because we felt impelled to write stuff. You know, we weren't waiting for anybody's permission. We weren't waiting for anybody to say, hey, yeah, you know, yes, you're allowed to write about music. Yeah. It's not that. We, we just did it anyway, you know. <laughs> and to this day, that's how my website works. You know, so if young kids want to write, they say to me, how should I write? And I go, why are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> why don't you just write? You yeah. know, it's, it's what you think. That's what's important. We're not, we're not doing Shakespeare here. We're right, discussing yeah. music. And your opinion of music is as valid as everybody else's. There's no expert. There shouldn't be any gatekeepers. It's right. just everybody's a gatekeeper in a sense. You know, it's uh, the democracy of taste, for good or bad, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what, what, what makes one writer's opinion more valid than another, on, on, especially on, on something like music or art? Yeah, it's weird because, because, I, because I've been around a long time. I actually have ended up in that position where people think I am a gatekeeper yeah. or an expert. I don't, it just makes me laugh. You know, I'm just, I'm just a fan like everybody else's, you know. That would be a weird <laughs> feeling. Yeah, that must be a weird feeling for you. It is weird. It's, it's, it's a weird responsibility, isn't it? But right now, people don't have to buy the record. They can just go listen online and see if they like. See, that's the other thing now. You can actually yeah. listen to stuff, you know. So, you know, a gatekeeper can point you in the direction of something. But it's not like you're going to have to spend, you know, people just spend hundreds of pounds a week on records to see what, you know, to catch up with things. Because now right. you can hear it in the first place, which is a bit of a nightmare for bands, isn't it? Because yeah. it's hard to sell stuff. But you know, for a fan, it's place good to hear more diverse things and more opinions and things. People have much more diverse music taste now, don't they? Oh, for sure. I know I, I do. Just from doing this this podcast, it's really opened up. I, I thought I had a pretty wide musical palette until I started doing this podcast and uh, getting introduced to people through other people and, and looking at the band. And I'm like, this is I don't really know this genre very well. And, I, and then I started realizing... There are a lot of different types of music out there that I have no clue about. And things that I didn't really like, or I shut my, I shouldn't say I didn't like, I shut myself off from intentionally as uh, when I was a lot younger that I really realized I shouldn't have back then. Like, like punk. I was not a big punk fan growing up. But through, uh, through this podcast, I've really started to to listen to a lot of earlier stuff, like um, even the no wave scene, like Swans and and Membranes now, and so it's really kind oh, yeah. Of- also, Swans are amazing bands. You know, Swans are really no wave or punk. They're a psychedelic bands. I mean, uh, for uh, me, I would say Swans are the direct descendants of the Doors. You know, so if you take the ends by the Doors and just do that as as your end point to what you're going to do musically, you end up with Swans. With swans. I mean, I know Michael Jaira, I've interviewed him. When Michael was 14, he was taking LSD and watching the doors playing whiskey in LA before they'd even made it. Yeah. You know, because Michael's about, he's about 66, 67, you know, he's, he goes back to the 60s, you know, he's one of the originals. And, yeah. And to, to, be that, to be that creative and that intense, just that far down the line, oh. on your own terms, is, is fucking amazing, you know. It is. The, the, only, the only thing he had over us, though, was he was in New York, so he seemed a lot more cool than we did. <laughs> you know, he had, that, he had that bunker in New York, and that just came out of the coolest, most intense thing ever. Oh, and we God. were growing up in Blackpool, in Blackpool in England, which is a seaside town. It's like Coney Island. So swans oh. are come to Coney Island. People just make jokes about them being like candy floss or, uh. you know, dodgems or, you know, like... So people could never take you seriously if you come from like um, 
a place where people just think it's a bubblegum holiday town. Yeah. I mean, the same problem was uh, Section 25, who's the other band, Blackpool, who were post-punk bands who were on Factory Records, same time as Joy Division, and made their debut album the same time as Joy Division. It was as good as Joy Division, but they always got uh, locked down on because they were weren't Manchester, so Manchester's a much cooler place. Yeah. Oh, okay. But it shouldn't make any difference. Where you come from is where you come from, isn't it? And the thing about Swans is, I mean, we, I would say they're contemporaries, really, because they do come from that thing where you're just driven to make the music, you know? Yeah. I think when, when they started, I don't think he could play anything. They just weren't, they learned since went along. So I'm sure if you interviewed him, he probably had the same thing that when he started, he didn't really know what chords or scales were. And he probably said the same thing. He's very courteous now. He wasn't like that 30 years ago. That's 30 years ago, he was, he was, God, he was hard work. Yeah. Now he's, he's really, he's, <laughs> now he's really polite and he's like a, a Southern gentleman now. Isn't yeah, he? He, he was. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to interview him now. He really yeah. was. Yeah, well, in the 80s, let's say he was more impatient. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> As the membranes start recording and writing and recording more, are you continuing to do the rocks fanzine, or is did that uh, get put away for a little while? Well, that, that was, we did that for about eight years, and then I got onto the music press. So I was a music writer, okay. write for sounds. So, so they actually got paid for that, which is amazing. Because <laughs> uh, I was going to get kicked off the door anyway. And, and, and it was not right like proper work. You could just do what you felt like it. Okay. And also, you had a platform. So you could start writing about bands and get them listened to. So, so I was on top of so much stuff, you know. I did the first seven of Orange, and I was on top of all the Manchester thing. And KRF, I did the first thing. Because I've always been a massive music guy, and I go out all the time. I know a lot of people. I've always had good radar, so I know what's going on. So I had a great platform sounds, because I didn't have to justify anything. They trusted me. Yeah. As a freelancer, I could write about what I liked. And quite often, they wouldn't even write what I wrote about. But they, if I liked it, it was in the paper. Yeah, wow. that, that was that was good enough. And I think... That's how, that's how it should be with freelancers because freelancers go out. Staffs, staff have jobs and they have to make sure the papers comes out on time. Mm -hmm. They go home after the day's work. They're knackered. But of course, you're a freelancer. You'd have to go anywhere. It's like now. I'm not, I'm not sat around at home. I'm outside and it's starting to rain, but I'm outside. <laughs> I don't have to be anywhere. You know, I could just float about, which is ideal for me. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I read a story and I want to find out if this is true because this to me is amazing if it is that you built your own bass guitar from spare parts and a chunk of wood? Yeah, what, what, what I did is um, I bought a bass originally, like a 30 quid bass. Okay. And I wanted it to be a violin bass, but I didn't you know, like Captain Sensible had one and Paul McCartney had one. Right. And it looked amazing, but where do you buy a violin bass from? We didn't think <laughs> about this stuff. So I got a piece of wood, which was washed up in the beach, a piece of driftwood, <laughs> and then I... And I spent about five weeks with a pen knife carving oh. it into a violin shape. And then, and then I got the neck off the other one, stuck it in there, and then I took the pickups out from the in. And then somebody said, somebody actually knew about guitar, said, I'll put you some proper pickups in that. Oh. And they did. And they put these DiMarzio pickups in, which I never Ooh. heard of, which are kick-ass pickups. Yeah. And then I had, the, I had the most amazing bass. It was so heavy sounding. Because the wood I use is maple, which has got a lot of resonation in it, but I had no idea. I didn't know what it was. But it really held the notes. It had this sound which went, oh. and it was, most, it was a killer bass sound.
had for years. People tried to buy that bass off me for the sound of it. But the tragedy in the end was uh, the house got burgled. And it got stolen about 20 years ago. Oh. The bass the is worth nothing unless you wanted that sound. It's worth everything to me. Yeah. And to anybody else who wants that kind of sound. So the people nicked it. We go, what have we just stolen? Just yeah. saying, skip. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, were there a lot of places to to go out and, and play punk music? Well, in Blackpool, no. We had to go to church halls. We go and hire a church hall for yeah. ten pounds and tell the vicar, the reverend, whoever that it's a, a folk gig, and then it'd be like a punk 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 gig, and they'd call the cops and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and we'd all go home we're, because we were too young to go to the clubs, and the clubs didn't want that kind of music. They That's, liked. Yeah. Long, they like long hair, seventies music, and, and you know, and and it wasn't the good stuff they liked. They liked the really the terrible stuff, just the, the, the really boring twelve-bar rock bands, yeah. you know. And so we, we, the drummer was thirteen. I mean, we couldn't get him in a club. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, of course, we did get those places. Then, then we did a record, and they got really good reviews. Then they got on the radio. Around the country on the fanzine circuit, so a lot of people do fanzines. They do an interview like this, and we go, "Well, can we? We want to come to Birmingham, put a gig on." So the fanzine person who never put a gig on before, we put the gig on it in the pub. So it became the, the upstairs rooms of pubs, and that would be the circuit in England. Okay, for about five years. Yeah, we were the, we were the band that made that circuit, so we were the first ones to go around and play everywhere. Wow. So we we would play all over Europe. We do eight week tours in Europe. And, oh wow. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And yeah. just a young team. Yeah, well, by then, 1983, so I'd be, uh, I'd be 20, 23 then, okay. 24. And then we'd be playing, um, you know, we played East Europe uh, before the Iron Curtain came down, you know, we'd be Poland, yeah. you know, wow. Czechoslovakia when it's called Czechoslovakia, right. Hungary. Places, some places, where we, we, when we played Prague, the promoter got arrested the night before, there was no gig, it was an illegal gig. We weren't allowed to have gigs, you know. Oh wow! So, yeah. So, so we had to sit in this guy's flat. Loads of books in the flat. He couldn't speak a word of English. This kind of hippie guy. He, he seemed like an old hippie guy. But he must have only been thirty-five. <laughs> and then we all sit, and he and he fed us, but we couldn't talk to each other. Oh my god! <laughs> and, and he fed us, and I was vegetarian even then, and I couldn't eat it because it had little bits of ham in it. Oh. So I just had to eat the bit. I had to eat the bits of bread. Because in East Europe, I mean, East Europe now is it's just like everywhere. You know, it's yeah. amazing. You go to Poland, you go to uh, Poland now, and there's vegan restaurants all over the joint. Oh, wow. But then it's, there's no no concept of that at all. So you would eat sunflower seeds off, off the actual head of the plant. You could buy those. I was nibbling them oh. and eating bits and like chunks of like white bread, which has sugar in it. It's was funny bread in East Europe in them days. It's such a different world. That's, and that, But you're young, so you can. Um, you could eat shit for weeks yeah. and it wouldn't affect you. Whereas now, now it's just like tired after about a day. Right. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. 
you're putting out albums and and touring and all, and then Alan McGee starts this creation label, and you guys are supposed. Oh no! To- before that, I mean Alan McGee, I knew Alan had a club okay. in London where he put on under, underground bands, and he ran ran me up because he was into the membranes, so he put us on. Because we were a big band, he needed bands if he got two hundred people to a gig in London right, to help right. his club along. So we were one of the bands that he really wanted to play in his club, you know. So we were like the big stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a very small scene. And I got to know him, but this is before creation. And I, okay. I used to hang out in London for days and then we'd walk around the streets because we had no money to do anything. And we um, we talk about how we were going to change the world, you know. And Alan remembers that. We still know each other really well. And we talk about that to this day, you know, it's um, you know, the idealism we had, and we're still the same people, we still think the same, you know, yeah. he's still He's never in change. He's a multi-millionaire, and I'm not. But, yeah. um, but but when we hook up, we still we still want to change the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't really started yet. I mean, um, <laughs> the interesting about the pandemic is giving me a lot of time to get all the other projects I was meaning to do, but got sidetracked by music. Yeah, I've actually got them in place now. They're all they're all gonna, they're all taking off See, in the next few weeks. So you're uh, you're you're one of the rare people then, because I've talked to so many people who said, yeah. I wanted to do so much during this pandemic and I haven't done any of it. Oh, I don't loads. Yeah, I've got a massive education project to start off and it's it's coming together like a green education project, which oh, wow. um, if it if it lands or will totally change the way education is done in this country and wow. it's a game changer to get and it's close to coming off, so I try not to think about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well we'll change that because I don't want you to get uncomfortable. But you end up actually being on creation. Well, we had a fallout. And there was a gig where it was our gig, and we were headlining about two years later. And we did this gig, and, and uh, there's another guy who worked at Creation who got in with Alan and tried to wedge me out. I mean, I didn't uh, want to be involved in Creation. It's a great label, but it's Alan's label. And this guy had a band, and he had to draw lots to play this gig, which was his idea. And they fixed the lots, so we went on first. Uh, and, and everybody comes to see us, and they missed us, and the crowd really pissed off, and his band went on last. And the crowd didn't thought his band was rubbish and threw, threw loads of stuff in. Then there's a lot of argy-bargy backstage, and then the next day we were off creation. So, so wow. he, he got what he wanted, I guess, was to get, us, get me out of Alan's circle of friends. Oh. But two years later, I met Alan again, and we were, we were friends again. So, oh, well, yeah. that's, that's good, because from what I was reading, it started to sound like the My Bloody Valentine creation story, where the recording that you were doing became too expensive. No, God, no, okay. no, no. There was no budget when we were on creation. You know, okay. it's, we did it on the cheap. I mean, my brother Valentine, I mean, we, we knew them when they started as well. I mean, I did their first ever interview. And my guitar player played violin on their first record. And oh, they really? used to support us, you know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But all these bands, they, I know them all, Pulp supported us, you know. Um, That's Stone Roses reversed next door to us before they'd done a gig. And, they, <laughs> you know, they, they would come in like we were the big, we were number one in the indie charts. So we that was quite big in those days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It's, it's it's incredible the amount of. Uh, well, the Mary Shade, the first Juice Mary Shade. I did the first ever interview Juice Mary Shade. Alan McGee brought them up on a train to my house in Manchester, and they stayed overnight. And I interviewed them wow. in my freezing cold flat. He had free tickets to the trains because he used to work on the trains, so he had a pass to get his friends off. And lovely. <laughs> yeah. So like you, you can virtually name any. Any band from eight to five onwards. Wow. And I've done the first interview although we supported my band. Yeah. See that that was part of the difficulty I had in, in preparing for this because one of the things I like to do is to go back and, and listen and, and read old interviews 
with my guests to just to learn what's been beaten to death because I don't want to tread over old ground. And the hardest part with you is when I type in John Rob interview, it's you interviewing people, not you being interviewed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Oh, no, it's annoying. It's annoying <laughs> for me, isn't it? I mean, I've actually got quite a good story, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm going to have to... I'm going to be everybody else. Actually, I, so, I mean, obviously, people are always interested, but sometimes I do people thinking, oh, God, my story's much more interesting than yours. <laughs> 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 but, you know, the number one rule of an interview is never, never put yourself in the interview. You know, if you're interviewing somebody... You gotta start telling them about your—it's not—it's not relevant. Exactly. Yeah. I I end up making this more conversational yeah, yeah. than interviewee, so I know I'm not the the best and interviewer. So and the best interviews, you get the best information that way. Yeah. I try. I'm trying. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Which is how I, you know, fortunately, how I found out about you by uh, having Rob Marshall on. So I'm indebted to him for that because I'm really enjoying this and and I'm loving the music, especially the two latest Membranes albums. They're amazing. They have absolutely blown my mind. Uh, it was frustrating for us because I genuinely don't think we make underground records. I think there's a lot more people who really like our music, but we can't get it to them. You know, we're, we're, we're getting locked out of the media. So if we, if we, you know, in America, we can't even get the record released, you know, and, it, and you know, all the radio stations, they won't play it. They go, well, that's not hipster enough. We go, well, just play it. People will think, let the public decide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you and have you on this because I do want to, you know, I, I don't have an enormous following, but for the, the people that do listen that, that don't know about it, the last two albums, I, I want people to hear them because they're incredible. They're absolutely amazing. I didn't go exactly sequentially or chronologically with the music, but when I listen to the older stuff and then the newer stuff, it there's such a difference if it's so i mean of course there was a big gap in the middle yeah yeah well we, we kind of worked out what we did we could actually realize our ambition so the earlier stuff we were reaching for things we couldn't do but now i know i know how to get a choir to sing a part out of my head I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know anybody in a choir to start with. And I wouldn't really know how. How would you get a choir to even sing on your record? I, I had no idea you do that. Was now, yeah. I know how to do it, you know. So I, I don't. I know you'd have to write it out as music, but just sing the parts of it yeah. and make it work, you know. And I think it com it's confidence and connections, and it's different. And, and it should be different as well. I don't, I don't think you should be in a band making the same record as maybe when you're younger. They're all a gamble because your older audience yeah. wants you to sound like the older version. But you can't make all, you have to make the music on your own terms. You, you, you can't make it for people just because they want it to be like the old days. Exactly, exactly. They can go listen to the old music then. Yeah, that's fair enough, isn't it? You know, it's, it's our problem, isn't it? If no one buys our record, then we're, we're, we're the ones who go bust. But, you know, fortunately, there's, there's a new audience that comes on, you know, you, you end up selling more records. But, but that was never the plan, you know. I mean, obviously, obviously you want to sell records, right. you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> But you can't you can't make that the prime prime motivation for making the music. It's, right. it's what's in your head, and you have to get it down on tape. Right. 
the membranes, was it a, a breakup or a, a hiatus? Was it like 1990, 93, somewhere around there? It's, uh, yeah, it just, it just kind of got to a point where there's there no point going on, really. Just, you know, you've run out of ideas, you run out of place, platforms for your ideas, and then you start doing your stuff. So I started writing more and more and became more of a writer. Right. And then, then I did another band called Goldblade, which in between. The situation seems so vacant. Valentine actually did a festival and they asked the membranes to reform to play the festival because they could pick all the bands that played that festival and that's what sparked it off again we played and had loads of people too who were really into it go wow we, we didn't realise there's that many people remember us <laughs> <laughs> that, and that was amazing I, I looked at the lineup for the that sh- those shows and it's incredible but to me it's amazing you have these two bands the Membranes and My Bloody Valentine both have been dormant for 10, 15, almost 20 years or so, and then they're the two amazing reunions there. There are no rules. I mean, I think with music, the Beatles kind of set to what a career curve was, didn't they? You know, you form, you get massive, you do five, six records and stop and do all that in about eight years. Right. Um, and music in the 60s and 70s is made by young people, whereas now it's music's made by everybody. Um, you, you you could have like 30 years off and come back and be good or you know it's there, there is no way exact way of doing it it could, it could be any, any any way you want it you could do it yeah I mean e- even being in a band is a weird notion like do you have to do the same people all the time you know do you do, why, why don't you just it's a project really isn't it? you know if, if it sounds right to different people do it different people I think it should be that open ended you know it's oh yeah it's, it's in, in the end it's the music thing you hear has to be the thing that's made where how you, is that you get to make it yeah and you know and let the audience decide if if you should keep going you know they'll they'll let you yeah, know if they like what yeah. you're doing yeah um, but you can still make music oh yeah, yeah. you can make music no one likes you know there's, there's always that <laughs> that's because, because now with home recording you can endlessly record stuff i mean yeah i write songs all the time you know scraps of ideas bits of ideas finish songs you just you call them on your phone or, or the iPad or the laptop and you know I've made loads of instrumental music which which was don't release but it's for soundtrack and stuff you know and oh, so cool. yeah yeah it was amazing because you could do orchestras now you can make orchestral stuff without being able to play any any string instruments you oh. can play as keyboards parts yeah yeah you can do it on your and phone you really, yeah and if you need to orchestrate it you bring an orchestra and you just get I can go to the college round here and get students to come and play all the parts you know young cello players whatever yeah, yeah. so yeah I totally respect anybody who's a virtuoso musical you know instrumentalist but I'm not you know I'm, I'm an ideas person I can hear music in my head you know I haven't got the skills always to play it so I have to bring people in to do it so yeah. you know for what I, I can't do choir parts but a choir counts I bring a choir in to do it so because that's what I've heard you know for better or worse that's the way it's got to be Right, right. So, all right, so so you step away from membranes. What was the gap between membranes and Goldblade? About five years. Yeah. Okay. What brought you back to to yeah. making music with uh, with Goldblade? I think I just wanted to do gigs. We, like, it's never like a massive plan. It's just like 
let's go do a couple of gigs. And then he kind of rolls, because we've got that scores, and then you start, you know, okay, let's do a record. The record comes out, the record takes off. Because we did quite well with Gold Blades. On, um, it was a bit more of a punky band. Yeah, for sure. Down the line. And, and, that, and to this day, it's actually got a really, we'll do it now and then, but it's actually got a really good following across Europe and things. I mean, we could, I mean, there was no pandemic. We could probably easily do a long European tour, but it's whether I actually want, you know, do I really want to spend 10 weeks playing what loads and loads of punk rock shows one after the other and just wrecking my voice? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell how, how hoarse I am because I was in the studio yesterday. And it's, oh, wow. It's, it's hard to sing that level of intensity, you know. I can imagine. And you're so energetic. It's amazing. I saw a video that I absolutely loved. Yesterday, in fact, I, I ran across it. It's a... Uh, Goldblade, uh, it, it, it looks like an electronic story. It's it's titled as HMV Blackpool, and you're doing We're oh, All yeah, In It yeah. Together, and you're singing on a table, the drummer's playing drums on cardboard boxes, and the audience is going crazy, and, and, and you're in the middle of a store. It's amazing. Thing where you can strip it down to acoustics yeah. and cardboard boxes, you can play anywhere. So we could play. We played on a tram the year after that gig. We just took it down. I did see that on a tram. Yeah, and, it, and you could just you can actually play the seats with drumsticks. Yeah. And I thought that. I thought <laughs> I really liked doing that. That was ace. You could just use anything as musical instruments. People because they need a song to join up, join in. And in a way, it felt more punk rock than anything. It was. We really were all in it together, you know. Yeah. That, that music was just pouring out everybody. It was, it was an ace feeling. It's yeah. incredible. And you guys did that uh, acoustic jukebox. That was so, that's so yeah, cool. We, yeah, made, made a little album out of it. Yeah, I love that. Cool as well, yeah. I, and I, yeah. I, I, to me, punk over here anyway, I, there's this idea that it's, it's kind of all, it's like three chords and, and it's all fast and it's just an electric little, you know, some distortion. And doing it acoustically to me sounds more punk because you, now you, you're going yeah, against expectations. I mean, those guys do three chords straight down the line, punk is valid. Yeah. And some of it can be quite good, but it's not. The only mistake is to think that's all that punk is. I mean, punk can be anything you want, really. Exactly. You know, and it's, um, I mean, when you get to bands like Ramsey, they're just, I think Ramsey are an amazing band they're, because they're great pop songwriters. Their songs yes. are really great pop songs, which. It's the bit that everybody forgets about punk because punk originally was pop music in England. The Sex Pistols, they were number one album. You know, they, they're like the Spice Girls. You know, people say that in a sneery kind of way. The whole point of the, of the, of the punk was it's, it was for everybody. Yeah. It wasn't elitist. It wasn't for a few snobs to go, ooh, that's a bit more punk and that's real punk. It's, there's no such thing. It was the, 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 the charts in Britain in 1977. You get four or five punk bands in the charts. They're the only ones who didn't chart in the top three of all the big bands with the Clash because they wouldn't go on top of the pops. Oh, so wow. Buzzcocks would have big Buzzcocks would have top 20 hits. Stranglers, who were the best punk bands. Stranglers were amazing. Yeah. Not known in America because they didn't really do much in America. Yeah, very, very. Pistols, of course, amazing. 
and these bands were, were pop bands to be on TV. And and when you were growing up in a, a, not in a city like I was, it was amazing. You could see it, you could see it, and hear it. Yeah. And it was it was and it, it changed your life. And what's the point? Or making the music for your 25 snobby friends. And I'm never like that at all, you know. Right? It's all, all chin-stroking blokes, you know, going, you know, that's how you do it properly. You go, no, no, that's not. I mean, I, I, I like a lot of esoteric left-field music, but I don't like it in a snobby kind of way. I like it because it, it sounds ace, but it doesn't make me feel like I'm, I'm really intelligent because I like it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I just like the sound and the noise it makes. Yeah, you know? exactly. exactly. I, I, I could go from pop music to free jazz to black metal to punk in, in about ten minutes. That's I'm awesome. Hopping around, you know. Yeah. When did you start Louder Than War? How did that come about? I was writing for websites. I was writing for the first British music website was called Play Loud, and I started at the very beginning. Okay. I mean, I was the first person to have an email of anybody I knew. It ah. took about five of us to set it up around my house. I had to get some computer heads in. <laughs> we got the email, and there was no one to email because didn't know anybody <laughs> that email. <laughs> but there was actually websites. That was the weirdest thing. We found websites, music websites, where they're about bands and that. Okay. Uh, not, not, you know, not like that, not like the war, but you know, like Tom Waits would have a website. You think, who the fuck's going here? Yeah. And his, his, fans, his fans aren't even on the internet. No one's in the internet there. And about three months later, I met somebody who had an email. So I went home and emailed. You couldn't do it on your phone then. Right, yeah. And they emailed back, and that was a big breakthrough. And your email address was just a load of numbers then. It wasn't your name. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, I, I remember I thought, that. You know, I, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if you could have an email with a picture on it and a list of the music you were into? So in a way, I thought Facebook really early on. I thought, I don't know you can do that. <laughs> I wish I'd done it now. So yeah. I've, I've been multi-millionaire. Yeah. And I've been doing a much better job of navigating these times than Mark Zuckerberg is weird and he's a funny guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, creepy. Oh, yeah. So, um, Very. So, so, yeah, so and then there was a music website called Play Loud. I wrote for them. And people didn't really read it because people didn't get the idea of having a newspaper online. And then there was another one after that called The Quietest, and I'll drive down the yes. and It's a great website. Yes. And the guys who run it saw me, good friends of mine. But um, I had so many ideas. It was it's just I couldn't get them all in there. So then, then I said, I'm going to do my own website. They helped me set it up, actually. I mean, how cool is that? That's and awesome. That's how we started. It was 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. And it's yeah. it's amazing. I've been checking it out. And what I find really awesome is that when uh, I, I looked at the, the picks for April, so this is going to be dating this podcast a little bit, but it's really cool when I check out a site as, as well-respected as yours and I see some of the people that I've had on the show and I'm like, Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, that's it's, cool stuff. Oh, it's, yeah. it's awesome, and there's—I don't know—it's—it's it's just really interesting to see connections like that. I, I love it. It's so cool to see how things get interwoven, act, even accidentally. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in, in a way, I think bunch of time, everybody knows everybody else on the scene, or even know, or knows of them. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, most people I, I can just email or tweet and ask for an interview, and they'll know who I am. So. Yeah. Just give me a head start. Yeah. <laughs> and how did the interview start? And you, you said you, you'd been interviewing for a long time, but is that something that you uh, fell into or is that, was that a goal that you wanted was to, to interview these artists? I was, well, I think as an artist, you're always interested in how other artists think. Yeah. You know, well, where, where's that little creative thing that, that drives them to do it? Because yeah. you, you always see parallels with yourself. So when you're interviewing people, and you're a creative as well. 
you kind of go, yeah, yeah, I feel that. Or you go, oh, wow, I never thought that. You know, it's, yeah. and everybody's different. Everyone's got different motivations. But it's, it's fascinating, that core of creativity. What's that thing? Where's the, where's the burning fire that makes these things happen, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and on one level, you're fascinated with that person. But on, on the other level, it's, it's just trying to understand yourself, really. And I always say, no, writing, it's, just, it's me trying to understand my own music taste because it's so eclectic. Yeah. Um, when I write about all the bits of music, I'm just trying to understand to myself what, what it is about that affects me in such a powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. When the membranes reformed, were you... The, the direction you, you're, you've taken is a lot more complex. Was that the goal at the Reformation? Or were you guys just trying to work things out at first and this is what you came up with? It's, it was, I don't think there's any... Well, there's a vague plan, actually, because I do have the concept and the idea, the record in my head, what it's, what it's going to feel like. Okay. Uh, and then the songs kind of fill in that gap, really. So... Okay. Yeah, so you, you can... It's not like you hear the whole record, you know. Some songs you do hear, you can hear the whole song in your head on the whole part. You can strut the song, the song around it. But it has to fit into the... Not so much the concept, but the... The idea of the album. So your back screen there is very much like our last album. <laughs> the last album was around nature. Um, the songs had to fit into the themes of densely wooded forests or the power of nature, the beauty of nature, but also the, the brutality of nature. Before that was sparked the conversation I had with somebody um, with with um, Joe Incandela who's running the CERN project in Switzerland. So we did, we did a TEDx talk. Oh, I did one. He did one. And then we went. They had a meal afterwards, and we chatted. And he told me about the universe, and how the universe has no edge, no beginning, no end. Right. And it was so mind blowing. It's quite psychedelic thinking those terms. Yeah. And I wanted to make a record that captured that feeling in my head. So. In a way, it's a record about the universe of space. But it's also a record about it's a psychedelic record, but not a sixties psychedelia, modern psychedelia. It's a psychedelia of of the universe, the endless universe. You know, the galaxies are filled with dark matter, and that this dark matter was very important to the formation of galaxies. When you look out in the universe and look at galaxies, you don't see it. So we see this dark matter is there, and there's pretty clear evidence that there's something there, but we don't know what it is. It's incredibly intense and expansive. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, it opens with the universe explodes into a billion photons of pure white light, and it's space junk i mean those those are just incredible songs was the songwriting collaborative or, or is this something that you you brought in or i'll always start the idea but the band will collaborate okay because yeah, i like collaboration yeah um yes i mean some, some, there will be some songs where i'm where just me playing on my own so the ones that are more um strings or more classically sounding they're, they're more mine than the ones that i'm doing yeah okay so yeah 
that so that makes more sense with the the second album. You know what nature gives it. You know it, there's a lot more strings and, and choruses in that. So that was yeah. That, I do all that. I do I do the strings and the choirs. That's my parts. Yeah. And that was well, the plan. Well, but and that was the plan from the beginning with that one, are. right? Yeah, yeah. I went to I worked with choirs to do a gig in a, a soul choir playing Estonia. And they were mind blowing, oh, wow. you know. And because they were fishing choirs, there's a hundred choirs in Estonia. Oh wow! And, and they sounded, and then we said to them, I said to them, let's do a gig together. And they said yes. And we went to Estonia, do this amazing gig with the choir. And from that, I got a British choir who started writing songs that weren't around choirs. And I'm going to go further into that because we like the choir thing. Are you releasing? You planning on releasing new music soon, or or, uh, or writing? Yeah, because that. The songs and that, but after this period, just getting everybody together yeah. to work work them out and stuff. Because we live all over the country, so it's not everyone's in the same place. Ah, okay. I'm not even I'm not seen any of the bands since the beginning of the whole thing. Oh wow! <laughs> well, thank you so much. Brilliant. All right, Mark. We'll talk Thanks to you so later. Long. See ya. Bye. Bye bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.